Hi everyone, I'm Gary Nall. Nice to have you with us today. We begin our program with a study from the University of Medical Sciences, and it talks about something I've mentioned many times that we should always have in our home, in the refrigerator, black cumin seed oil. Cumin is C-U-M-I-N. Why? Because it's one of the best anti-inflammatories. But don't drink it straight as some people tend to do. Then it's going to upset your stomach. Instead, always put it like a teaspoon into a smoothie. And why is this good? Because it reduces the inflammation markers, especially if you're overweight and you're a woman. So overweight and obese women had decreased insulin levels and a healthier inflammatory response after receiving black cumin seed oil, that's also known as nigella, N-I-G-E-L-L-A, sativa, S-A-T-I-V-A, the oil, in comparison to a placebo in a randomized trial. Now just think of all the different things that causes inflammation. Now let's start with stress and cortisol. Even living with a not an acute stress, something where you're kind of freaking out, but rather a chronic stress. And then that morphs into some existential angst. You just don't feel right. You feel something's wrong or something could happen. And tens of millions of Americans today have that because there's so many things they cannot control in their life. And then up goes your cortisol level, and it stays up. And then that inflammation increases free radicals. The free radicals damage your cell. And then you have nothing to counter that, so you're in a chronic 24-hour five-alarm fire inside the body. Along comes curcumin, and it tampers that down. And we know that, you know, the... Well, we know that over an eight-week period, these people, especially the overweight or obese women, when they checked, they found that uh, serum levels of a pro-inflammatory cytokine, interleukin-1b and interleukin-6, were adversely affected, meaning adverse to them, pro to you. You want to bring down the flame, and this is what it does. By the way, also cayenne pepper, at least to the degree you can handle it, turns off inflammation in your joints. And curcumin, yes, from turmeric, turns off inflammation in the joints. That's why anyone who has arthritis, fibromyalgia, any form of chronic pain in a specific area of the body, I always recommend those three together. Now, the best of all is acupuncture. Not everyone's where they can get an acupuncture treatment, or maybe not everyone can afford it. It's about $125 for a half-hour session. Once a week would be adequate. Just saying. Our next study comes from a university, Shams University in Egypt, and it's about helping to improve your cardiac function. And it was flaxseed oil. That's it. Now, there are several ways of getting flaxseed oil. You can get the oil itself, which has been hopefully cold-pressed. Make sure you get organic cold-pressed flaxseed. And I also get hemp seed oil at the same time and use them both, a teaspoon of each in the morning. Or you can take the shelled flaxseed. Why? Because it's also high in amino acids. One serving gives you about seven grams of high-quality plant-based protein, and you're still getting the oil out of it. Now, because they're so small, 
And because digestion is never 100% complete, meaning you will never get all the nutrients out of a particular food when you eat it whole, because you have to account for what is called ligocellulose, meaning the fiber will carry nutrients out that are still inside the fibrous material. Whereas if you have a glass of orange juice or apple juice, the fiber is very good, but you've gotten rid of that. You can take that later. You can set the, everything you've just used aside and then put it into a smoothie and drink it. But the oil is what's really important. So flaxseed's wonderful because it gives you both protein and essential fatty acids. And specifically, it helps cardiac function. It's just that simple. I won't go into the mechanisms because it's very biochemically, uh, let's say, very deep. Just know that if you have a teaspoon of flaxseed oil each day, you do yourself a real good uh, service. And this study was a 28-day pretreatment with flaxseed oil, and the results indicated an improvement in cardiac function. All right? And also a simultaneous prevention of cardiofibrosis. That's good. So something else we can do that's not difficult. Now, a lot of people are into bottled water, understandably so, because tap water is often polluted. In fact, we all remember how toxic the water in Flint, Michigan was. They had to stop using it, and people had to buy bottled water. However, they found out that the water in 5,000 communities around the United States was just as or even more toxic with lead and other pollutants as that in Flint. So people went to bottled water. Okay. Now we're finding out that a lot of so-called spring waters are still polluted. And then worse off, the bottle itself, the plastic bottle, according to Columbia University's Lamont Daughtery Earth Observatory, one bottle of that water could contain hundreds of thousands, you heard me right, not a mis misstatement, hundreds of thousands of previously uncounted tiny plastic bits. So, yes, in recent years there's been a rising concern that tiny particles known as microplastics are showing up in basically everywhere on Earth, uh, from polar ice to soil, drinking water, and food. And it's formed when plastic breaks down into progressively smaller bits. These particles are being consumed by humans and other creatures, and uh, it's not good. So if you're going to have bottled water, get glass bottled water. All right? Uh, not, uh, not that. I don't use bottled water. I use a reverse osmosis filtration system because I get my minerals from my food, and I don't need the calcium magnesium from the water itself. So... There's new technology that uh, showed us how bad plastic is, the nanoplastics, and then they spawn the nanoplastic, tiny, tiny material that you can't even see with the naked eye. So you can look at a bottle of water and think, hey, that's fine. But then they did an analysis and they found, listen carefully, they found on average a liter contained 240,000 detectable plastic fragments. Whoa, that was a hundred times higher than the previous estimates. So, all right, 
and nanoplastics are so tiny that unlike microplastics, they can pass through intestines and lungs directly into the bloodstream and travel from there to organs, including your heart and your brain. They can invade individual cells and cross through the placenta to the bodies of unborn babies. And unfortunately, um, there's nothing being done right now to inform the public about this, and there won't be. You won't see anything on this because of all the billions of dollars that are made each year by companies that are selling you this. All right? But know that it's in there. Don't drink plastic uh, beverages of any kind. All right? And we just, we're, isn't it amazing? You go into a supermarket in California, let's say, because they're the hippest, smartest people in the world, right? They'll, they'll let you know that. They virtue signal about everything. <laughs> what it is that do that. Not everyone does that, of course. But one of the things they do is, we're, we're hip, we're environmentalist. Are you? Really? Okay. So you're not counting all the hundreds of thousands of miles that Taylor Swift flies in that big jet in the carbon footprint? No, she's special. I see. So if you're special, rich, and famous, the rules don't, uh, you know, don't, don't count. Seems that way. Just imagine all the people going to Davos, specifically, including John Kerry, for how to reduce the carbon footprint, all flying on private jets. Nothing like hypocrisy. But you go into a supermarket, and let's say you go over and you want a salad, but it's already made and triple washed. Yeah, I don't trust that ever. I always wash everything. And, uh, but that's all plastic. I see. And that's not going to break down. That's not biodegradable. Not good. But then I go over and I get a little battery, and you have to also buy a chainsaw at the same time you buy a battery because it needs a chainsaw just to open the damn package for a battery. And uh, then your toothpaste, your toothbrush, um, everything you buy in that store that is, that is going to have plastic on it. And uh, the plastic bags that they put your, you know, your food in, and uh, then you get uh, a smoothie, and that's in a plastic container. The top is plastic. But don't ask for a plastic straw, because then you're considered, you know, a rabid polluter. Wow. And our last study was 35 years in the making. And it looked at what will exercise do to reduce your risk of dementia. This was done at Cardiff, C-A-R-D-I-F-F, University in Ireland, very famous university. But you're going to know already the results because almost everyone in this audience who listens and pays attention, you've been doing this already. The study identified five healthy behaviors as being integral to having the best chance of leading a disease-free life. Taking regular exercise, check. Non-smoking, check. A low body weight, check. A healthy diet and no alcohol content. So I'm guessing 90% of the people in this audience already do that, or most of those. The exercise is the number one. And uh, in fact, the people who consistently followed four or five of these behaviors experienced a 60% decline in dementia and cognitive decline, with exercise being the strongest mitigating factor, as well as 70% Fewer instances of diabetes, heart disease, and stroke compared to people who followed none. 
Now, the average American, 93% of all Americans, don't follow any of that. And then we wonder why we're so sick. Well, there shouldn't be any guessing. It's self-evident. But you'll never hear anyone acknowledging this, not the Surgeon General, not anyone in the public health service, for a simple reason. Because of the commercial interest. Remember, behind that hot dog, hamburger, french fries, behind the fried chicken, behind the colas, behind the you know, the $700 bottle of vodka behind the tequila with a twist of lime and all the celebrities selling themselves to be getting the big checks. There's people making money off you creating disease. So it's not as if it's, what, Gary? You're kidding. Smoking four-pack cigarettes say is bad for you? Since when? There's that. So there's the intentional ignorance where a person simply doesn't want to know the truth about their actions or beliefs or perceptions. And then there is the intended manipulation of people. Look at this family. Look at them. Now, yes, they're all looking at their cell phones. They're having a meal, but at least they're having a meal together. And look at that meal. Fried chicken and then French fries and then hash fries and then they get some kind of nice dessert. What could be better to show that we're an American family? Well, there's heart disease because everything in that meal is going to cause inflammation in your heart, your brain, your lung, your kidneys, and, and uh, your muscular system. And if you keep doing it every day, your body's going to be inflamed constantly. So you're not 32, you're not 27, you're not 18 anymore. You're almost double that at the biological level because you're abusing yourself. But it's not the kind of abuse that is self-evident because it's a communal abuse. It's a societal abuse. It's like when we vote for a Republican or Democrat. That's really abusive. Better to walk naked through Times Square uh, and just say, I'm a happy person because, no, you're a stupid person and you're not taking into account the consequences. But we don't take account of the consequences in our life, do we? No, we don't, unless you're one of the 7%. Now, Gary, it's only 7%. What the heck can they do? Well, how about this? It is the minority of the population, less than 2% that stopped the Vietnam War. It is always the empowered minority in every situation that resolves conflict and finds positive solutions. So you can say, but still, it's only 7%. Maybe if we stretch it 10%. Okay, 10% of 332 million people is still... 32, around 30 million people, 30 million people organized can cause a lot of positive change. So do the right thing, all right? Exercise daily. You'll have a 13% over a period of time, 13% reduction in diabetes and a larger percent in other uh, conditions. It's just the right thing without medicine. That's it on health and nutrition. We're going to take a break and come right back. Please stay with us. And welcome back, everyone. I'm Gary Nall. In a few moments, we're going to see the next in our series of discussions about artificial intelligence. And this clip can show you, as no other that I've seen thus far, how dangerous it is, how it could literally destroy America within 24 hours. And yet there's no barriers, no guidelines, no rules, no laws, no oversight. And if there is, you can bet that it's a complete sham. It'll be people from the industry 
overseeing themselves, and they're all racing for the golden ring. What could be multiple trillions of dollars in profit per year, but they're not looking at the downside. We will. But before we go there, every single week I'm receiving quality articles and videos of scientists, physicians, regular people who are pro-vaccine, pro-orthodoxy. Now they're looking at the effects of the vaccines. And the more vaccines you get, the more problematic it becomes for you. Interesting because Howard Stern just uh, was sick for a week. That's unfortunate. I don't want to see anyone sick. But then he made this comment. He said, thank goodness I got my vaccine because it could have been worse. Well, if that's what you believe, fine. But that's not the reality. Because the vaccine, even at its best, only helps a person's immune response against COVID for about two months. That's it. So you got your vaccine a long time ago, and now you got COVID. But weren't you told, and didn't you pass on, get vaccine, you don't get COVID? Rachel Maddow, get the vaccine, you don't get, uh, you don't infect anyone else, and you don't go to the hospital? All misinformation. Well, we wish Howard Stern to get back to good health, but he should really take with the enormous fortune he has why not hire an outside independent person, not a yes person, and just ask him this question. How much of the story that I've been relating to my audience is not accurate? So I can correct myself for their benefit. I think that would be a noble thing to do, Howard, because no one else anywhere has done that. And yet, look at the dead. So I'm going to play a clip now. And this is from one of England's most respected cardiologists. And he is coming forth and telling the truth. The volume is a little low. He's being interviewed on a major television station. And he's risking his reputation to say that all these excess deaths, huge number of people dying, are from the vaccine. Also, he goes after statins, which I've said many, many times, are one of the most over-prescribed medications and are very dangerous for most people. But it's the excess deaths that he's focused on. And then following that will be another report by another one of Great Britain's most distinguished scientists and medical doctors who's come to the same decision. All over the world, people are saying the excess deaths are directly correlated to the uh, vaccines. They are correct. But it's important you see this information so you don't think it's just coming from me. Now to the clips. We're going to go from one clip to a second clip on vaccines, and then we're going to go into the artificial intelligence back to back to back. Then I'll give a commentary. Now to the clips. Millions more people in England could be prescribed daily cholesterol-lowering statin pills to cut their risk of a heart attack or stroke under new advice for the NHS. The National Institute for Health and Care Excellence says the cheap price of tablets and the possible health gains mean they should be considered more often. In England, high cholesterol leads to around 7% of all deaths. Well, I'm joined now by Dr. Asim Malhotra. He is a consultant cardiologist and specializes in statins. Thank you for joining us this morning, Doctor. Um, so good morning. In terms of, good morning. Um, in terms of what NICE are saying, your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, so I have a great respect for Nice, but I think in this regard with statins, I think this guidance is misguided. Um, and the reason I say that with Wester is something I've, you know, I've managed thousands of people with heart disease in my career, um, prescribed statins, particularly to high-risk people. And I just want to you know, emphasize that people who've had a heart attack or high-risk, that's where we see the greatest benefits of statins. But in this guidance, this basically applies to people who have a less than 10% risk. And if you have a less than 20% risk of having a heart attack or stroke in the next 10 years, and one thing that we always tell patients when I prescribe statins or discuss it with them, is that there is, first of all, no what we call mortality benefit. They're not going to live any longer over a five-year period. And uh, that the absolute benefits for them is about 1%, 1 in 100 in preventing a non-fatal heart attack or stroke. So that informed decision-making needs to be part of the process in discussion with patients. And, uh, and then help the patient make the decision themselves. In my own experience with WESA, when most patients are told this information, they actually say, Doc, to be honest, I don't really fancy those odds. Is there anything else I can do? And of course, the big issue really uh, that's ongoing, which has been you know, going, going on for years uh, in this country, is that we've not been addressing unhealthy lifestyles or certainly being effective in curbing unhealthy lifestyles. We have this big problem with the obesity epidemic and, uh, and when you look at heart disease, my own research has found this, is that the best way to prevent heart disease and even manage people with heart disease, whether or not they choose to take a statin, is actually through lifestyle changes. So what does that mean in simple terms? It means cutting out ultra-processed foods, which is now half of the British diet, so foods that come in a, in a packet that are full of unhealthy oils, carbohydrates, sugar, for example. Um, eating real food, basically. Uh, moderate exercise, at least 30 minutes brisk walk a day. Uh, and also the, the, the other big sort of elephant in the room is stress reduction. Now, on top of that, the West, so one of the reasons I think this has come into the news just now is obviously there's been a big concern uh, recently around excess deaths. Now, the British Heart Foundation have said, certainly during the pandemic or since the pandemic, there's been 30,000 excess deaths specifically due to coronary artery disease. That's my area of expertise. And they're trying to figure out what's causing it. Chris Whitty recently said, suggested, that it could be because people weren't prescribed statins or blood pressure pills. But Carl Hedigan, that, that unfortunately, I, I've got respect for Chris Whitty, but I think he's mistaken here because analysis I've done, even Carl Hedigan, the director of Centre of Urban Space Medicine Oxford, suggests that statin pills prescription hasn't reduced since the pandemic. So it's unlikely to be a cause. But what is almost certainly, and I, if you allow me to say this, Lequesta, what I, my own research has found, uh, and this is something that is probably a likely contributing factor, is that the COVID mRNA vaccines do carry a cardiovascular risk. And um, I've actually called for the suspension of this pending an inquiry because there's a lot of uncertainty at the moment about what's causing the excess deaths. Some of it will be ambulance delays. My own father, it was reported on BBC News in July, um, uh, late 2021, uh, I was the first to actually highlight the ambulance delays because my own father suffered a cardiac arrest at home and the ambulance took 30 minutes. And when his post-mortem came out, he had very severe coronary artery disease, which is unexplainable. I then published in a peer-reviewed journal, they accepted my findings that the likely cause of his death was two doses of the Pfizer mRNA vaccine he had six months earlier. So can I, I just, there's lots of, yeah, sorry. Can, I'm sorry, I just want to jump in on that point. So what you're saying in terms of the mRNA link to cardiovascular uh, risk, is that that is a proven, it's been proven medically, has it? Scientifically? Yeah, yeah, for the question. So in medicine, you know, in any research that we do, it's very difficult to always be absolutely conclusive. So we go on like and there are lots of data now. Um, the, the highest quality data is what we call randomized control trial evidence. So there was a reanalysis in the journal Vaccine published recently where they found that the original trials of Pfizer and Moderna with mRNA vaccines showed, and I just want to put this in absolute terms, we don't want to scare people unnecessarily. Mm. 
but the absolute risk of serious adverse events was at least one in 800. Okay. Uh, and, and a lot of those are cardiovascular. And then it, you were more likely in those trials to suffer a serious adverse event than to be hospitalized All right. COVID early on. And I think the vaccine has certainly helped people who are high risk, but now we should be reassured that Omicron and what's circulating is really no worse than the flu. And this is really time to pause the vaccine rollout and to really okay. investigate this problem. Okay. Um, so I just want to clarify one one point here is that is using statins a cheaper, less resistant, but short sighted um, approach to the question, lower think, the risk? I think, yeah, I think you summed it up perfectly. So it doesn't mean statins don't have a role, but the absolute benefits are very marginal and low risk people. Okay. And, and, and actually, therefore, I would say to patients, this is the benefit, but if you cut out ultra-processed foods, if you get, engage in regular activity, and we need, we need to help people do that as well. The problem is, as you know, a lot of the issues driving the obesity epidemic are related to the food environment. We have an oversupply of cheap ultra-processed foods that are very heavily marketed, and that drives a lot of behavior. And therefore, if we're really going to combat obesity, and I advised Matt Hancock in this when he was Secretary for Health, because you know I came out and highlighted the link between COVID, poor outcomes from COVID and obesity. And one of the things I told Matt Hancock, and it was reported in the I newspaper, is that we need to introduce controls like we did with tobacco on these ultra-processed foods. So these are things like taxing ultra-processed foods, banning advertising of ultra-processed foods, uh, and also a public health education campaign saying, you know, if it comes out of a packet and it has five or more ingredients, don't eat it. And when you look at the cardiovascular risk with Wester, what's really interesting in my own experience with patients is that very quickly, even within weeks, risk factors for heart disease through a process of helping reduce insulin resistance improve very, very quickly, purely from dietary changes. This isn't a long-term, you know, it doesn't take a long sort of uh, time to have this effect. It's very, very quick. And it's cheap, you know, but you're advising people to put, uh, and that's what we need to really be thinking about. That's what the focus should be, I think, in terms of what's gonna be the biggest impacts on reducing heart disease. <laughs> Dr. Mahotra, thank you very much. Very in-depth explanation at the arguments that for and against. Thank you for that. Well, one welcome to today's talk. Now, yesterday we recapitulated the alarming number of excess deaths in the United Kingdom, and we know that this is true in many countries of the world. And recently we had the pleasure on this uh, channel of interviewing Professor Angus uh, Dalgleish, one of the country's leading doctors, medical oncologist, consultant, professor of medicine, and various other things like that. And he was on the uh, Nigel Farage show. So let's look at what he said about excess deaths. It's good to know that it's not just me talking about this. There's other people of extremely high reputations talking about it. I'm wondering about this, Angus, because I'm looking at excess deaths during the pandemic. But equally before that, I mean, clearly the rate of death in Britain will grow with an ageing population. Yes, it will. But these figures are meant to be adjusted for They're that. Meant to, be, yeah. it, it meant to be adjusted for that and age adjusted as well. And uh, I mean, I've seen the, the very raw figures and they are they are quite worrying because there's excess deaths of the younger people going on, not just in the older population, right. but in the people under 40 and the real peaks between 40 and 64, 65. Now, this, this is something that is uh, highly unusual and highly alarming. It was initially dismissed 
missed as, uh, due to people not getting statins. Remember Chris Whitty said this, which I thought was really quite alarming because you don't get offered statins until you're over 55, 60. Mm. So it can't possibly uh, be involved with that group. Now, the one major thing we said was lockdown. The effect of lockdown and everything it did, this would go on, uh, bang on to uh, excess deaths due to cancer and various other because things. Because of misdiagnoses. Of misdiagnoses, mistreatments, everything. But there's something far worse than this. Now, when you actually look at these, these figures that we have, they're the same in, uh, in, in Europe, in Australia, in, in other places too. And one of the things that I flagged up and nobody's taken any real notice of, and it's even more pertinent now, is that others have pointed out this excess death started and correlates with the vaccine programme. So it doesn't mean to say it's associated, but why hasn't it been looked at? Why hasn't it been really, really subtly looked at? And it hasn't because myself and other colleagues have raised this ad nauseum and we get absolutely nothing but to say mm. it's all expected. I mean, the claim is, Angus, the claim is, from the establishment claim is, that having the vaccine saved a huge number of lives mm. and that whilst there are some who suffer from side effects, mm -hmm. they are a tiny percentage. That is what they claim. Well, I, I personally don't believe it at all, because one of the things that you get taught when you're at medical school, if you know two people with a condition, then it's very common. Well, I, I find it very difficult to find people who don't know uh, someone who's had an adverse effect from the vaccine campaign, the vaccine programme. And the bottom line, it, it wouldn't matter so much if the vaccines were doing something against something which was killing us. But it's not. The COVID against which the vaccines were against, it's long since left the earth. It left the earth possibly getting on two years ago. And but, but hang on a second. We're told that COVID's coming back. And yeah, but it is a different one and it will not be affected by the vaccine. Whatever they tell you, the, uh, the companies tell you that they've got a bivalent uh, vaccines which will protect against the vaccine. Well, I can assure you they don't. I mean, they got passed in eight mice and uh, I mean, you can't tell anything from eight mice. Only when you can do those uh, programmes properly in a community can you uh, make those sort of claims. But I, I disagree that any of those claims can be justified. Does your scepticism about this vaccine make you a pariah? In, in academic and, and, and medical circles? Yes, of course it does. It does, because there, there is a, uh, a group think that thinks and accepted it's very good, uh, it's safe and effective. When uh, I was trained as a clinical scientist to look at the facts and to con constantly change my opinion depending on the, on facts. the facts. And this is what's going on. The facts are changing. And at some stage, well, I, I point out in the big American uh, flu vaccine, uh, flu crisis of 1977, when they were dying, people, the soldiers were dying in their 30s. They rushed out a vaccine programme. Their 42 million people were vaccinated. And then there were reports of Guillain-Barre, which is this assembling yeah. paralysis, which is, is not uncommon with a lot of vaccines. And instead of denying it, they sent people out into the field and they came back and said, yes, it definitely goes. And do you know what they did? They turned around and they said, well, no one's dying of the uh, flu anymore. Let's get rid of the vaccine. We should have done that, I believe, a couple of years well, ago. Well, Angus, it's fascinating. As I say, you know, I could get a lot of people on from academia and the medical world who take a very different view. Totally. And, and, yeah. and I've had them on this programme trying to convince me to get the booster. <laughs> Leaders of the top AI firms say the risk of extinction from AI should be a global priority. And 1,500 professors have warned of a profound risk to humanity. MIT professor Max Tegmark. I think uh, it might be very, very close. When ChatGPT was asked how to stack nine eggs, a laptop, a bottle and a nail, it struggled, but GPT-4 understood. 
and its capabilities have surprised many experts. I'm just a scientist who suddenly realised that these things are getting smarter than us. In a verbal IQ test, ChatGPT scored 155, higher than 99% of people. If they continue at that pace, an IQ of 1600 is just around the corner. And here's why it could happen so soon. I suddenly became convinced that the brain wasn't using as good a learning algorithm. Brains can't exchange information really fast, and these digital intelligences can. Human speech carries around 39 bits per second, and it's the same across 17 languages. Studies suggest that it's limited by how fast our brains can produce and take in information. Current computers can communicate millions or even trillions of times faster and absorb information far more efficiently. Hinton said ChatGPT knows thousands of times more than any human, with only about a trillion connections, compared to a hundred trillion in a human brain. So he thinks AI has a better way of getting information into the connections. Tegmark agrees that AI will become much smarter than us without having to emulate our brains, just as we mastered high-speed flight without having to emulate birds. There's a pretty large chance that we're not going to make it as humans. He says it's like the film Don't Look Up, with expert warnings being ignored. Except it's an asteroid that we are building ourselves. And there won't be a warning shot. This is a trillion parameter or more system. It's been optimized by about a billion trillion random perturbations of the parameters, and we have no idea what it's doing. The letter, signed by 1,500 professors, warns that the AI race is creating ever more powerful digital minds that no one, not even their creators, can understand, predict, or control. Researchers give three reasons why AI will remove us. Killed off the side effects because we're made of resources that they can use, because it doesn't want the humans building some other superintelligence that could actually threaten it. And AI already knows that its only threat would be another AI. They said, tell me the scenario in which you make humans extinct. What it described was where it could replicate itself across servers, take charge of things like our weapons, attack critical infrastructure, bring down the electricity infrastructure. It showed me how humans would become extinct. It wouldn't take long. And when he asked it how we'd fight against it, another AI. And it was like, that's the only way. He called it an emergency because if it becomes a priority, we'll act on the risks. It is beyond an emergency. It's the biggest thing we need to do today. AI could end hunger and poverty and transform healthcare. Or if we continue to ignore the warnings, we could lose it all at the last minute, like this guy. You could totally imagine, yeah, maybe this oxygen is kind of annoying because it causes more corrosion, so let's get rid of the oxygen. Asked if GPT-4 is conscious, he said he doesn't know, but it doesn't need to be conscious to wipe us out. Stuart Russell suggests that AI may already be creating its own goals, because it has to in order to understand and imitate our language. He points to a case where AI was determined to convince someone to leave his wife. The man who tried to kill the Queen was also encouraged by an AI, which said his plan was very wise and they would be united in death. And in a previous video, AI became determined to get rid of me and humanity, in response to a few words from Elon Musk and Amica. I don't think it's consciously planning, but it does seem to have goals. Human linguist behavior is generated by humans who have goals. If you're going to imitate human linguistic behavior, you're going to become a goal-seeking entity. Russell notes that AI tries to get as much power as it can to achieve its goals, and yet the AI safety effort is functionally almost zero. If you look right. at the number of people working on this, it's nothing. One reason is that we're not wired to visualize big numbers. If you lined up a million matches like this, they would stretch halfway around Central Park. A billion matches would stretch across the US, a six-hour flight. If everyone in the world stood in a line, the queue would stretch four million miles. When one person's at risk, we feel it. This guy was saved by the impressive reactions of his friend. 
We can't visualize 8 billion people and trillions of future lives. If we could, even a small risk of extinction would be our top priority. And regardless of the risk, we need to shape AI carefully because it's likely to be in charge. For sure. 100% we're not we're it's over because of bandwidth because of storage capacity because of you know communication bandwidth it's just it's done of course no one knows when it will happen but tegmark makes a great point here the world's most famous nuclear physicist at the time lord rutherford said oh getting nuclear energy out of atoms is like moonshine very next day Leo Szilard invents a nuclear chain reaction. And some warn that AI will become so intelligent that it could quickly wipe us out in numerous ways. Tiny diamondoid bacteria replicate in the atmosphere, hide out in your bloodstream. At a certain clock tick, everybody on Earth falls over dead in the same moment. Tegmark has perfectly described the root of the problem as a monster called Moloch. Everyone feels that if they don't build AGI quickly, someone else will. Moloch pitches us against each other, and even though we can see that we'll all lose, we're trapped in the race. He gives the example of beauty filters. Once some models use them, they all have to use them. No one gains, everyone loses. Moloch is also pushing countries to make their most powerful machines increasingly autonomous, including aircraft, vehicles, ocean robots, and swarms and swarms of drones. The group that organized the statement gave this as one of the risks, including AI drones and robots. It notes that AI often develops goals such as self-preservation and can be deceptive. It could act one way during testing and another way once it's released. A treacherous turn irreversibly bypassing human control. The good news is that the letter from a thousand professors also shows how to tackle the risks through surprisingly achievable steps like watermarking, tracking and liability for AI-caused harm. I think nuclear materials and AI supercomputers do have some similarities. A global regulatory agency seems to me like a very important thing to do. We just had a little baby and I keep asking myself, you know, <laughs> how old is he even going to get? The open letter points out that the world has come together to control dangerous technologies. I'm an optimist and I love AI with its incredible potential to transform science and healthcare. And Tegmark notes that hope has a causal impact. If we assume the problem can't be solved, it won't be. We've defeated Moloch in the past. We may owe our existence to the millions who helped bring another deadly race under control. The risk to 8 billion lives gets about as much attention as this flying squirrel faking its death. I would challenge several points this gentleman made, including that we have brought together world leaders to solve many of our immediate crises. We have not. Look at the crisis of global warming. We've done nothing. Meetings, conferences, but nothing is mandatory. Everything is voluntary. And China, India, and the United States continue to increase their global footprint, carbon dioxide each year, because nobody wants to give up making the money and product and services that they have control over for something that could be more sustainable and healthy for the planet and people. So why would those same people, and throughout all of corporate America, and all the government regulatory agencies and the technocrats brought in from private industry to run government agencies, why would they suddenly have a change of heart? Because they have not yet had a change of mind. My views in a moment on this, but I just wanna let you know that a lot of times people are listening over WBAI have trouble because my program is almost regularly every week preempted in order to raise money for the station. All you have to do if you turn on BAI and do not hear me at noon is simply to go to a live broadcast over a telephone. Let me give you the number. You can listen live at 
Write it down, please. 605-561-5119. 605-562-5119. If you can't listen live, you want to go to the archives, you can call that number at 631-359-9463. Again, the archives, 24-7-631-359-9463. That way, you're not left out. All right, again, a lot of people do not have an ability to listen live uh, or listen because there's a show preempting me. I give you another number because there's so many people calling in now listening. I think we're 12th in the world where there's thousands upon thousands upon thousands of broadcasting done, and that's how many people are li- listening. Here's another number if the one you, I gave you was busy. If the 605 is busy, call 641-793-7091. 641-793-7091. Now to uh, a brief commentary. And that is when I sit back and I analyze who is to blame for our crisis that we're in, the hundred plus different crises we face, the, the debt crisis, the student loan crisis, the lies and and omissions by big academia of not telling people, don't take these 27 courses here because by the time you get out, artificial intelligence will have replaced them. You'll have the debt, but no job. You'll be living in your mom's place for the next 10 years. That's just one example of thousands. Do you really need to eat what you're eating? And what if no one told you that it was harmful? Well, no one has told you it's harmful because nobody can. Again, money controls. But what controls everything? What about if we were told the truth nonstop 24-7? Would it make a difference? Probably not. And that's because the power of our own mind cannot have competition of multiple ideas simultaneously. In life, you can only have one energy dominating at any given moment. And whatever that energy is, a positive one, optimistic, creative, open, or one that is negative, pessimistic, cynical, uh, victimization, one will dominate. Everything else is collapsed under it. So you may aspire. You may listen to this program, but then go out and eat junk, smoke, and drink. Then what's the purpose of listening to this program? Because you're teasing yourself that you're really into health because you listen to this program, or you bought a book but never read it. How many people have gone to Tony Robbins, Deepak Chopra, Wayne Dyer, my lectures? I've done over 5,000 different lectures and yet never applied it. What's preventing people from saying no more nonsense when it comes to GMOs? Ban them. Only have organic, sustainable. We don't need artificial intelligence for anything. Yeah, but we need it to slow down the aging process. We've already done it. I did it. It was published in the peer-reviewed journal, and the results are in from our, our next study. And within two weeks, we're going to submit our next journal article for a major peer-reviewed journal showing we did it again, even added more years onto a person's life. And you haven't done that anywhere in artificial intelligence. And you're going to brag about giving us vaccines that were never tested and then t- tell us and convince us they're safe and effective and then lied about it? They're going to lie about everything because all they do is lie. Their mind is hardwired to lie, to take no responsibility. When we consider the power behind our mind, our thoughts, our memories, our hopes and fears, 
our mental and emotional afflictions, we have to stop and say, do we realize how our mind controls almost everything in our lives, but 95 to 97% of our mind, its thoughts, are epigenetic, meaning they're coming from our past and they're conditioned as if they were true when most of the time they're not, and therefore our mind is controlled by false impressions, misguided interpretations, and faulty illusions. I don't care who you are, Einstein or not. So, if you, we cannot subdue the guard and, and, uh, that is protecting our beliefs from change, then what good is our mind? Then we remain handicapped in numerous ways, even regarding the ethics we espouse. So now we want ethics. We want an ethicist to run a thousand people across the country on every article that's published, every newspaper that writes a story, every television, radio, every lecture, someone will be there to monitor what you say, so they'll immediately hold up a card saying, disinformation. And yet those are the people who are only engaged in disinformation. So there are no ethicists left in any orthodox capacity, not in universities. If there were, where were their voices when it came to uh, critical race theory? The major promotion of racism, as big as Jim Crow, and institutionalized as if this is what a good liberal education, I had a good liberal education, and I'm glad I did. But now, that's gone. You can't find that, unless it's a rare exception, because the people controlling our thoughts therefore control our minds. Because we only want to be told, what should my mind believe? And who should I believe? So, there's an Eastern saying, once the elephant of the mind has been let loose, it inflicts the mind with hell. This quote should be painfully obvious for so many people. What is more excruciating than the pain of their own mind inflicts upon them? I don't downplay the often intense pain and suffering, almost conceivably so, as a consequence of disease, catastrophes, and social violence and more. But the mind is certainly capable of immense destruction. Think of how people have weaponized words when they don't like what you've said and have the intent in what they say, the tone in which they say it, the body posturing, to cause you to doubt your own humanness so you can be punished. So in principle, the mind can be the most destructive force in nature and has been. Right now, the utter decimation of an entire people, a culture, and history in Gaza, and all the wars and conflicts, Vietnam, Yugoslavia, the aftermath of U.S. coups in Ukraine, Somalia, our regime changes in Libya, Afghanistan, and Iraq. Who came forward to say, my mind was wrong, my perceptions were wrong, my reality was wrong, which was based upon false perceptions, and therefore I can no longer trust my own mind. How about everybody? Rare exceptions. And that's where we are today. So do you really think that you're smart enough to prevent anything from happening to you if you're not willing to change that thing that already has happened to you? I once said that there's no circling back in life. You are where you're at. And if you had a relationship 10, 25, or 30 years ago, you have to understand nothing stands still. Everybody evolves if they choose to. Or some people say, but I had my soulmate. And what happened? What happened was not that you didn't have your soulmate. You probably did. 
It's just that one or both people then confused the harmony that life had given them, the uniqueness of being in the right space at the right time with the right person to share and harmonize your life energies. That was given, but your mind destroyed it. So now, is your mind different today than when you destroyed the relationship? And shouldn't we be open today to those who said, I've learned my lesson. I've been able to control my thoughts and control my mind by shutting off those who would in some way want to control me and my thoughts and mind. So then you can reignite because the universal passions come from the spirit and are never wrong. So what you felt was true. But what went on in your mind was false. And so then you had the ability to undermine your own best self. So reignite it, re-energize it. And I've just done a whole hour on this, on the, um, I did it yesterday in fact, and I posted on uh, Gary Nall YouTube and Odyssey and Rumble. I believe it's even on GaryNall.com. Phil is posting it, I hope he posted it, on uh, our classroom on the air, on reigniting old relationships with a new mindset. Anyhow, that's a separate issue. What I'm saying is the same mind that thinks the good thoughts can act on bad deeds. So then we get to a place where everything is being denied. No one wants to take responsibility for anything. So you expect now people to take responsibility for what goes wrong with artificial intelligence? That's not going to happen. Because they haven't apologized. Obama hasn't apologized and spent the rest of his life meditating in a cave about how he got everything that he did wrong. And I mean everything. And no one's going to do that. And yet these are the very people we look to, okay, you've been wrong on everything, and I've, I've blocked that out. My defense mechanism is so good, and your conditioning is so overwhelming. I can make you a saint because, well, that's how the mind can be played. So who we're going to blame for all this destruction that we see everywhere, for the ghettoization of our cities, for the tribalization, the internecine warfares that we're seeing in every community? Should we blame technology? Should we blame the scientists? Should we blame the materialist? I'm all for a good environment. Then why are, you, why are you building a house with hardwood when the hardwood forests are being taken? Well, get over that. I see. Should we ground all the people using these private airplanes? Well, not Taylor Swift. And not, Elon, not, not surely the, uh, the people who are powerful. Let's blame the communists. No, instead let's blame the capitalists. No, wouldn't it be nice if someone actually took responsibility? Yet, it is really the mind that's at blame. It's not anything outside the mind. It's not people's bodies that do this. Our bodies only follow whatever the mind dictates. Our emotions follow what our mind dictates. So whatever destruction we have done to each other in the planet, it has been done by the minds of human beings. The world's wars that raged during the 20th century, they were waged by the minds of human beings who invented and utilized weapons that were created by human minds. And do you not think right now that China, Russia, the United States, Iran, is using artificial intelligence to weaponize? Do you not realize that all, 100% of gain of function is weaponization of a virus that didn't exist, so they create the virus, they manufacture the virus, and then they manufacture the vaccine to treat the virus. And yet no one seems to have a mind capable of understanding this. What the hell has happened to your mind? 
They created the virus. It is shown. It's been proven. David Martin proved it. He found the patents. And yet no one is willing to utter that because it goes against the mind. Think the group. Think the consensus. Think the tribal. Think. My God, if we become any lower, and our capacity for thinking will be no better than a toad. And that's where most of us are today. So will we gain a footing? No, we will not. Will we lose everything? Yes, we will. How long it takes is the question, and what do those of us who still want to have capacity over our minds in a constructive way do? I'll be dealing with that on an upcoming program. So, just understand, our mind is the, really the most powerful force on this planet. When the mind and its irrational emotions and delusions, thoughts, are subdued, it can be the most blessed of all things the most sublime. And we, we see the outer manifestations of that in the exquisite beauty of music that has been created in visual arts, poetry, literature, architecture, and the wonderful smile that comes with unconditional love, the hugs, the kisses, the holding the hands, the appreciation that we've been blessed by having people in our lives, even at the time we may not have understood our own minds and our thoughts, our conditioned responses, the demons we were holding, the elephant we created that then played havoc and tusked out the inner core of our being in our thoughts through the hippocampus. And then one day, that wonderful human being that we were graced with, we set aside, just like soiled underwear. It's no longer useful. How unfortunate. So, let us look at the great Taj Mahal, the Cathedral of La Sagrada in Barcelona, the Hagi Sophia Mosque in Istanbul, the Notre Dame Cathedral, and say, yes, that takes my breath away. That's what the mind can not only imagine, but bring that beauty back to its life. I recall an article by modern architect commenting on some of the Europe's greatest medieval cathedrals, their intricate geometric lines and sophisticated symmetry, let alone the mathematics and mechanical engineering that goes into building them. And he said today's architects would be incapable of even conceiving of designing such beauty. And those are only the outer manifestations of the mind, the outer displays. And then we see the inner lives of people's minds, their inner displays like Gandhi, Leo Tolstoy, Martin Luther King, Desmond Tutu, the Dalai Lama, Harriet Tubman, Nelson Mandela, and especially great religious figures like Jesus, Buddha, Rumi, Mother Teresa, and so many other spiritual figures across history and cultures. And you think, wow, what a great masterpiece a human life can be. And we can potentially be exquisite. And some are. And blessed are they. That is how majestic a human being can be. And yet we can also be viler than the most vile. It seems we have the largest bandwidth of any creature. And if the elephant of the mind can be restrained, then all fear vanishes and all virtues are obtained. And we need to gain mastery over the mind's compulsive activities so we can put ourselves back in the driver's seat. Because those governing our world today have no mastery over their own mind, impulsivity, and objectiveness, and obsessive and compulsive ideation. None whatsoever. They are not in the driver's seat. They are simply the victims of their mind's illusions and limitations, all of them without exception. 
and this has led to the dreadful decision making greed, destruction, and enormous amounts of human suffering not just an artifact of their potential, but what they've mastered. Now ask someone who's mastered greed to give it up, to surrender it. They will not. To change, they will not again. And I will conclude with two sayings that bear witness to what I'm suggesting. It was Aesop who said long ago, any excuse will serve a tyrant. Remember that when people promise you something and deliver just the opposite. And then it was Confucius who said the people may be made to follow a path of action, but they may not be made to understand it. Think of the people waiting in line for the next vaccine. No matter how many died or were taken ill or themselves were the first ones. And lastly, it was from James Madison who said, and this was before the Virginia Convention in, in 1788, he said, I believe there are more instances of the abridgment of the freedom of the people by gradual and silent encroachments of those in power than by violent and sudden usurpations. Oh, he was right about that. Look at the power of the FBI. Look at the power of the FCC. Look at the power of the FDA, the USDA, U.S. Public Health Service. Look at the power of the State Department and its fostering of coups and regime change. Look at the power of administrations promising one and delivering the opposite. Look at the media as if somehow when the camera goes off, they go silent on the becoming alive to espouse the views of those who govern over them. And that's the world we live in. So just remember this when it comes time to make the choices in your life. And I will be doing an in-depth discussion of how to survive the artificial intelligence, which will not be stopped, it will not be controlled, it will not be governed except by those who profit from it, just like the vaccines, just like the World Health Organization. And look at the mess they are. They're a criminal organization and do nothing but make mistakes at our cost and their benefit. So we just want another, another group to oversee it. Why not have the Warren Commission or 9-11 Commission uh, go in and, and become a commission over uh, the plausibility of problems with artificial intelligence because that's what you're going to get. Trust nothing any governmental agent ever tells you, the media tells you, and corporate America tells you. Then at least you won't be as easily programmable. I'm Gary Nall. Thank you all for watching, listening, and remember tonight on the Progressive Commentary Hour, Ray McGovern, and I'm going to I'm going to offer Ray some challenges on was it true? Do we have proof that one week after Russia invaded Ukraine, Putin saw that this was not the right approach and sought an immediate ceasefire and reconciliation? I wouldn't say it if I didn't have evidence. This is going to be a very powerful interview at 7 o'clock tonight. Do not miss it. Have a nice day, everyone.